Hey, class of 1990, Arlington High School. It's Dana Bash with CNN here with my friend and colleague, Mark Preston. Yes, he actually did graduate. He ended up making good. Very good. He's the best. Thank you for producing him and giving him to us. We love him. I love him the most. I paid Dana for that. Thank you. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another exciting episode of the Ponder This Podcast. I can't even tell you. Wow. Uh, It's been quite the birthday so far, and it just keeps getting better. The presents keep rolling in. Uh, On the line, I have with me a gentleman who I tried to wrangle in for probably three or four months, and maybe even longer than that. Let's go back to November. Um, This guy is one of Arlington High's most famous graduates. He is... Vice President of President, uh, he is the Vice President, rather, of Political and Special Events Programming at CNN, and he's a CNN political analyst. One of the reasons I wanted to stay away from the pandemic discussion and also political talk is because I wanted you to hear it from his mouth directly to your ears. This is a guy who used to sling the Boston Globe newspapers to his uh, upper deck. On Mount Vernon Street, I can't even tell you honestly how pumped up I am. The last time we were going to talk, there was an insurrection at the Capitol. And he's like, I have to work the next three overnights. We're going to have to reschedule. Ladies and gentlemen. This is a a big get for Timmy Dalton. And uh, this guy had to get clearance from his employer. Again, CNN. So put your hands together for CNN. Thank you, CNN. Uh, Joining me on the line, Mark Preston. Mark Preston, how the hell are you? Jimmy Dawson, you know, before we even, like, first of all, thank you for that ridiculous introduction that you just (laughs) said. I guess we'll emphasize the word ridiculous. But can I tell you, some of my favorite times growing up, right, and this is pre-high school, was playing wiffle ball in your backyard, which by the way, was not designed at all by any stretch of the imagination. It like wasn't. You and your family others made it into one, and we used to have to go, and you'd have to hit the lineup of whatever team that you were playing, you know? And I just remember days, and then we took it up to the farm, and we used to play uh, wiffle ball into the... Uh, uh, into, like, the, the playground equipment. And, God, those were such big times. Mark, uh, I... Love you, buddy. It used to be leading off the center field of Willie Wilson. Then you were like batting second, the shortstop, Amos Otis. You know what I mean? You'd have to do the Philly. Back in the day, buddy, we knew every player on every team because guys didn't change teams. You know, when you got up, you had to do the baseball stand. So, I mean, this will take people back many years. But Rod Carew, remember Rod Carew? Of course. Had to drop the bat behind your cock. I used, was fun. I, I used I used to cock the elbow like Carl Yastrzemski and and uh, and Joe Morgan with the with the bat pump and all that good stuff. I love it, buddy. Love it. All right, I got, wait a second. I got a good yeah story for you. Okay. Yes. I'm Polish. You're Polish. Okay, Carl Yastrzemski, my favorite Red Sox player, no question. Okay. Um, 
mean, he was our guy when we were growing up. And there's Freddie Lane, Jim Rice, those guys, you know, called Fisk, but, you know, Rice and, and uh, uh, Rice came, but rather Fisk and, uh, and Freddie Lynn left and whatever. But it was Carl Yusef who was, who was there from the beginning, there to the end. Yeah. So on his very last day, my brother used to go into Fenway with his buddies, and they used to, like, you know, put, put a case of beer in the trunk, and they'd park on the side of the street, and they would, like, tailgate outside, and then they would go into the game. So they took me uh, in 1983. It was Yaz Day. I was there, Mark. You were there too. I was there. Yes. Okay. So this so so there's more to the story, as uh, a sketch radio guy once said. So uh, so we're in this and and you know I'm really young and they're drunk and whatever, but it was so (laughs) great that you know you know took me in and he was a you know pretty good baseball player in in his own right. And I remember he, he, he crushed a cup and he, and he, he threw it and he hit Rich Gedman with a cup, right? And I thought Gedman was going to come out of the bullpen. And, you know, of course he had no idea where the cup came from, you know? Right. But, uh, but fast forward now to my brother's 50th birthday a few years ago. And uh, I still had the T-shirt that he bought that said, thanks for the memories, Carl Ustremski. I had saved it. Um. I don't know when I was 14 or something. I took it off, just threw it in, you know, in, into the savings. And then uh, I gave it to my brother on his 50th birthday. He said, do you remember this day? I mean, it, was, it was a pretty cool, you know, time back uh, moment, you know, baseball, what have you. That is a fantastic story. And when I get off the phone with you, I'm going to text a picture of my son, William Dalton, wearing that shirt. Oh, and it's the with on the back it was red it said, yeah you can uh. see okay it's it's so see-through that you can like see his nipples through the thing because it's like it's like a piece of uh, you know it's like a piece of uh tracing paper at this point it's so thin <laughs> so i'll tell you what, i mean we're talking about a business to go in right here when goes to these you know t-shirts what have you if you go back and find some like really cool vintage t-shirts i bet you could make some money i bet you could i bet you could so uh, I got to go into just a couple things before we get into your career, but there was a large contingent of folks that went to UMass, and um, you happen to be one of that contingency. And And could you talk to us a little bit about your life at UMass? Because we share a common friend in Chris Coleman, uh, who, you know, I'm not going to divulge any of the, uh, what's, what's, Happened at UMass stays at UMass as far as I'm concerned, buddy. This is bro code. This is like the movie The Hangover and all that stuff. But could you tell us a little bit about your academic career post Arlington High and how you ended up down in the DC area? I love how you. Uh, I love how you start off with the uh, you key in asking a question like that is to back end the toughness, right? Yes. But you know, trust often the person like, hey, why don't you tell us? you know, the great years you had academically at UMass, and then, hey, really, what were the dark things that were, were happening <laughs> here? You know, uh, uh, first of all, UMass, you know, and I say, you know, to my friends now, there's a good group of us, including Chris, who you mentioned, uh, you know, who's still staying in touch, you know, but, uh, and maybe, maybe Coleman would have been able to get into UMass uh, nowadays, but I certainly would have never gotten into UMass uh, with my grades back, back then, but, you know, Thankfully, you know, I was uh, allowed in and did my four years there. I had a great time. You know, it was uh, what was great about UMass, I think, 
in, in general is, and I've heard, you know, from some of the interviews of, of folks who also went there, is that you, you had your base Arlington friends, right? Yep. Um, but it was also, it was such a big school, and, and really everybody from that school was either from, like, the greater New York City area or the greater Boston area. I mean, that's, that was UMass. I don't know if it still is. So there was a lot of commonality, you know, between everybody. You know, everybody was, you know, I had lots of friends who, who worked, you know, all through college. I worked most of my time through college to pay for college. So there was kind of that, that gritty, you know, blue collar. I mean, even though we weren't blue collar necessarily in Arlington, but, uh, in, you know, in a great way, but it was kind of that, that blue collar grit, I think, that I just loved, loved it about the school. So we had a, you know, a ton of fun. I'll tell you, I don't think we were as nearly as crazy as what's going on now. Yeah. Uh, up there, you know, necessarily with some of the kids, but again, they're kids and, you know, they'll figure it out. You know, that's, it is what it is. But yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed it. You know, I hung out with, with Teddy Heffernan and Mike Callan and yep. Jeff Sullivan yep. when they were all there. And then, uh, and then, uh, you know, through the four years, uh, hung out or at least, you know, kept in touch with Alton White and Karen and then, uh, and then Lisa French, uh, because we really kind of hung in concentric circles. So, sure. Uh, I used to see Lisa um, as well. I got a, I got a Lisa story too for you. Yeah, let's so hear it. This, okay. Yeah, yeah. This is, this makes me sound like a good, good person, but I really isn't. It just goes to show you like <laughs> what a phone call can do. Right. So I, <laughs> I was, uh, she sent me a text or I don't know, Facebook or something many years ago and said, Hey, um, my, my father's company is being sent to Washington to help shovel it out, right? It was one of those major storms. There wasn't enough equipment down here. Okay. And I said, really? Oh, I go, oh, that's interesting. So I called a friend over on the Boston Globe and said, hey, there's a, uh, there's a company coming down from, like, uh, greater Boston uh, to come down to, to, like, basically, like, get the Supreme Court working again. And, uh, like, within a day or two, there was, like, pictures of, of uh, Lisa French's father's trucks moving <laughs> snow from the uh, from the uh, Supreme Court. So that's fantastic. It, there was a convoy of uh, W. L. French trucks heading down to the D.C. area. It's so funny, Mark. When they get like three inches of snow, they shut down for three weeks. Yeah, you know because it, it just rains on it because we do get snow, you know, but it's. Uh, you know, unlike Boston, and, and I know Boston's a melting pot, and there's a lot of college kids, right? A lot of college kids are there, and, and they live in Boston, and they stay there. But when they go there, they're not necessarily driving cars, you know? And then they become acclimated to Boston, and then you learn really how to drive, which is the Boston way. Right. And you come to Washington, right? You have people coming from all over the country, all over the all over the world, and everybody has their different ways of, of driving. And, and honestly, people think that... Uh, that the likes of, uh, of you and me are like crazy right. uh, behind the wheel. The, those, <laughs> those, ma- those, those mass holes that are driving like maniacs and, and cutting people off. And yeah. You say do the speed, do the speed or get over. Yeah. 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 <laughs> move, move over. Um, so when you left UMass, did you start working? Were you in the newspaper industry? Were you, were you working for the wall street? Um, the Washington post? Uh, no, no, no. Okay, so uh, so okay, so I do my four years at UMass. Yeah. Uh, 
graduate, wanted, really wanted to go to Washington, D.C., didn't want to stay in Boston. I, I was really done with, with Boston. I was just needed something new and different. Didn't want to go to New York City, just too much, you know, grimy. Right. So I, uh, so I really tried really hard to get a, an internship out of Washington, D.C., and it was incredibly, incredibly difficult uh, to do, but um, I eventually got into center office. But then, because he just so happened to call the intern coordinator and he picked up, I mean, literally picked up the phone and, and I was Kennedy's office. And then within about a month or so, I was hired by uh, Senator Kennedy's office. And I worked in Washington with them. This was in 1994 for the election. And uh, while he won re-election, the Democrats at that time, and your brother was down there mm-hmm. at that time. Yep. Uh, the Republicans took over, which meant that, you know, probably about 35%, 40% of the uh, positions, Democratic positions, were lost. That's how we go back and forth. Sure. Lost seats, up, yeah. Yeah, right. So, just so you know, these staff turns on, that's what happened. So, uh, I ended up staying with him for about six more months and working in his fundraising office to help kind of wrap things up and then decided that that's not really what I wanted to do. Uh, you know, I just, I just had to get out of Washington. I mean, I mean that year in Washington was a lot of fun. Um, I would tell you, I mean, anybody has kids who are interested in like politics or something, they, they should move to Washington because it's, it really is a great place. And again, I know your brother was down here. Yeah. It's just a great place to meet people. And I mean, it's a relatively safe city if you, you know, if you watch yourself. So, um, so I decided that I wanted to move to Atlanta, and I got a friend of mine from Bedford who was one of Coleman's, uh, Chris Coleman's mates, to move with me to Atlanta, and we moved in with a couple of other friends from UMass that were down there, and uh, I kind of just went down there because of the Olympics. It was, you know, this was 95, going into 96, the right. Olympics were coming, and people probably forget it, but it was a huge, huge deal back then. And uh, I went down there and just kind of kicked around and bought and, you know, because I basically came out of college and went right to work. Yeah. You know, yeah. It was tough. So then I, I went down there, kicked around, had a couple of jobs, and then another UMass connection. I mean, thought about this one. Uh, I wanted to go back and uh, start working in newspapers again, uh, get out of politics. So I applied. So I was working for the Atlanta Journal Constitution. I was at the time, but I was writing like adversarial copy. You know, basically the inserts about like uh, why this restaurant is a great restaurant in <laughs> Heights, or right, like that type of stuff. But you know, I needed money. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, paying jobs. So I did that, and then I uh, and then I took a job with a small newspaper called the Marietta Daily Journal. But before I got to the Marietta Daily Journal, I was uh, freelancing for the Associated Press. So in addition to working for the Atlanta Journal Constitution, and I was also writing for a golf magazine, and I was writing for the Atlanta Braves. I was doing uh, writing for them as well, and then I was uh, oh, what else was I doing? It's probably still bartending at that point. Yeah, too. good for you. I had um, no, I had no idea, and I don't mean to cut you off. I had no idea that you had you were wearing seven caps. You know what I mean? In ninety five, ninety six, you're down in Atlanta. I was working for the Red Sox at the time up here in Boston. You know, and and we we probably shared. I was a journalism major at Hofstra, so I, I was kind of kicking the can as to, you know, being involved in the same type of capacity. Like, how can I work for a team but also write and, and you know, do some stuff similar to what you're talking about? So it's pretty cool. 
Yeah, it's interesting because I, I talked to you about Brace about going to work um, at one point, uh, doing what you were doing, really. And, uh, and then, and then they, one of the guys there got a kid with me and he said to me, you know, uh, he pulled me aside. He's like, you, you don't want this job. You don't want this. You don't want to come call at 4 o'clock in the morning, you know, yep. your players are driven off the road or something like that. He goes, it's, it's really, he goes, it's tough. And I was like, okay, all right, got it. So, uh, so here's the UMass campus. So I am a freelance with the Associated Press, and um, a phone goes off in Sandy Springs, Georgia. And uh, it was right outside of an abortion clinic. Oh, jeez. So, which was pretty close to where I live. So I called AP and said, I can get there now. And they're like, go. So I go down there. What happened was, it turns out it was Eric Rudolph. Eric Rudolph was the was the bomber, the Atlanta the Atlanta City bomber, uh, the Atlanta Olympic bomber. Right, right. He was he also, uh, 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 made this bomb too, or whatever set off this bomb that was outside a, an abortion clinic. What was really terrible about this, I mean, it's all terrible, is that not only were they, you know, trying to not only was he going to try to like hurt people inside the building, but he was trying to hurt the first responders coming oh. in afterwards. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was pretty brutal. I guess, you know, I, when it, it was my first, I guess, real major crime scene I'd ever covered. I'd never seen that many police officers in my life. But here's, here's the UMass connection. I went into uh, a woman I went to UMass with. I graduated like two years before. She was down there. She worked for the abortion clinic. I'd worked for the abortion clinic, gave me a bunch of details about what had happened. And it was, you know, it was a huge scoop for us. Yeah, I was going to say, no you, you, you got the early UMass scoop. You had the Minuteman connection, and she started yeah. spilling, the, spilling the beans. Yeah, so she was so she was helpful. And then, uh, and, and, and then the book and the AP stuff is the crazy stuff you do in your life. And then I ended up covering the JonBenet Ramsey case oh. uh, for a night. So this must have been after Christmas. So I come back you know, from Boston and I was back in Atlanta and uh, John Benny Ramsey had been murdered and I just remember they told me I got a call from AP and they said, hey, can you work? And I said, sure. They said, okay, we need you to go uh, up to this place in Alpharetta. We'll give you the address. We need you to sit on the house. I said, okay, for what? It's, uh, okay, it's the John Benny Ramsey's grandparents' house. We think that Ramsey's are in there. This is where nobody knew where they were. Right. So we need you to go up there. I said, okay. So uh, I go up there, and there's like six or seven, uh, you know, television trucks up there. You know, everybody kind of knows each other. I'm new to those guys because they don't know me. So we're all sitting around outside this house for hours and hours and hours. And at at some point, one of the truck operators looks at me and says, "You're uh, you are you're gonna have to be here all night, aren't you?" And I said, "Yeah." And they said, "Well, we're all gonna go home then." (laughs) I said, "What?" Yeah, man. your job is to be here overnight because we all subscribe to AP and uh, it even happens like we'll get called right back. And I was like, Oh fuck. Yeah. No, that's okay. Like, it's okay. I was like, I need to be here by myself. Right. So, but the guy was great. He got me this little television and, uh, and it had, and it had, it had, it had, I don't know. It was like, uh, it had batteries to it. And like I literally sat in, in a car in Alpharetta, it was awful, like in this uh, planned subdivision as it was freezing. You couldn't leave your car running, you know, you couldn't do that. Right. Uh, and, and the, but I had this television and I was watching these Christopher Walken movies and I swear the batteries went out like 
five minutes before the end of the movie. Oh my god! I was so, I was so angry, and I don't even know what happened. I still don't know what happened. <laughs> A cliffhanger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, all right. So, uh, so I worked in Merritt Daily Journal for a year and a half. Me, my wife there. My, my eventual wife there. And uh, I worked there for a year and a half. I tried to come back to Washington. Finally get back to Washington. I worked for a wire service called States News Service. Uh, and I worked for the Worcester Telegram. I was their primary correspondent. Well, their only one in Washington. Worcester Telegram. I wrote for the Boston Globe. And I wrote for the Las Vegas Sun primarily. I used to write for some newspapers on the Florida as well. Uh, a little bit for the Miami Herald times and the New York Times on a bunch of newspapers down there. So I occasionally work for them. But I did that, but you know, just the, you know, the kick in the teeth and you think you graduate from college and like the world owes you something. They don't owe you anything. I mean, literally I had moved back to Atlanta 97, I guess it was, 98, to Washington, D.C. And at the time in Atlanta, I think I was making like $23,000. I was all hustling, you know, all those jobs. Yeah, and then yeah. the married deal. Oh, maybe like 23, 24. And then I went back to Washington and my pay was $15,600. It's so funny. It's so funny, Mark, because as you're talking and you're freelancing for six different papers, all in different states, I'm like, what did your W-2 look like? You know what I mean? You get, you get a file with like six different, you know, states and whatever. And, you know, you're making 23 grand. Um, you get, you, you know, your ear to the, to the phone and and when do you get the police scanner and you're riding around with that in your car? No, no, thank God I didn't do that. I yeah, a, I was a government guy. My wife actually did that for a while, um, but uh, no. But, but you know, I did it because uh, I knew I knew that if you if you really worked hard and, and you put your nose to it and, and, you, and you really get your act together, then something good will come out of it. So I went there for a year. I worked my tail off. I amassed about $20,000 in debt, right? Because I had to survive. Yep. Um, but the folks that, you know, that I worked there with, I mean, one of them is, is the lead uh, columnist for the Washington Post now. Okay. So we were just texting today because, I mean, as we're recording this, there's been a, you know, another shooting on Capitol Hill. And uh, I was sending him a note today to Paul saying, Paul, it was a Friday afternoon when you and I, were in the newsroom. I was just open to Corona and uh, uh, officers Chestnut uh, in, in Gibson were uh, gunned down uh, inside the Capitol. It was just so surreal. Yeah, you know, that's Friday. it's crazy. It's Good Friday, right? And you, and you know, I, I alluded to it at the top when I did the introduction. I don't mean to jump all over the place, but when I think of Mark Preston, I'll just say this while you're talking is that I, you've always been somebody like the word that comes to mind is gritty. I mean, you've always just kind of put your nose down. Your family's kind of a, a hardworking, right, like blue-collar family. And I I find you like a hustler. Like, as I, I always think of you when I think of, like, a guy like Steve Lyons. You know what I mean? You're, you're that utility guy that will play seven out of nine positions, and you'll never complain. You're like, I'm just going to I'm gonna work my ass off all day because that's how I picture you. And then... <clears throat> to hear the story, excuse me, about what's going on in D.C., the last time you and I were going to talk is when the Capitol got raided. Right. 
and 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 you're like i i can't uh i can't sorry tim i can't come on the podcast cnn needs yeah. me needs me to go do like two or three consecutive overnights and uh you know you won't you won't be uh you won't be seeing or hearing from me for the next 72 hours yeah so right now okay so i'll, I'll explain all that yeah. yeah that was that was january well you, you know just to tie things up in a bow because like who cares about my resume necessarily they ended up going into work for a newspaper on Capitol Hill for six years called World Call. And, uh, and my buddy Paul came over there with me. And uh, if you look around, uh, all the top journalists, not all of them, but many of the top journalists right now in Washington came out of World Call, a similar paper uh, that was in competition. So I did that six years. decided to go to CNN in 2005. I never thought I would work in television. It just isn't my thing. Actually, tell people I'm, I'm not even in television, and most of my bosses like laugh. But uh, I've been in television now, I guess, since uh, October uh, five. Yeah. You know. And yeah, but and, and no, but to, to well, your well, just to cut you off for a second, like when I'm flipping through the channels, and I mean CNN is known all over the globe, right? So like when 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 my producer friend Dave Barnes or, or when anybody. Uh, I get screenshots of you on TV all the time. Like, hey, when are you getting this guy on the podcast? So it's it's for a while, Mark. CNN, you know, was synonymous with just being on all over the globe. I, I, I think I told you the story about uh, being interviewed by Judy Woodruff at one point on Inside Politics because I was like, hey, have you ever run into Judy in the hallways? And as I'm impersonating Austin Powers in my interview with Judy, I'm like, uh, you know, world leaders in Russia and in the Middle East are like, well, you know, they're turning to their screen right now, going, "What the fuck is this?" You know, what I, mean? <laughs> I always think about yeah, that when I, I was when I was in when I was uh, having an interview with her. Yeah, so it's, yeah. What's interesting about that is, like, for instance, a lot of our programming on domestic television here in, in the U.S. is carried overseas on our international channels or international channels, but. Um, uh, but in addition to that, I mean, we also have our own show. So like, when you're on television and you're talking about, you know, Donald Trump or Joe Biden or whatever it is, you know, in the back of your mind, you know damn well that the North Koreans and, and uh, the Chinese and the Russians uh, and our allies are all watching everything. Right. You know, and they're in every word because, you know, I mean, they have this intelligence and they have everything going on in here, but they're always looking for, for more information, you know. So, uh, yeah, they always have their, uh, their ear to the ground, so to speak. That's for sure. That's um, for sure. You, you and I have had a couple of conversations off the record before having you come on just to reminisce, really, talk about growing up together and, and you know, some of the people I had interviewed. And, and I find it uh, a true testament to your personality and your nature you're genuine about finding out information about people and just like, Hey, so who have you chatted with? And how come you haven't got this guy yet? Which I found, like I said, just totally, uh, grounded and, and refreshing. And I loved every second of it. Um, you shared with me in one of those conversations that you have not voted since 96. Is that correct? 98, 96, 96. It, it is, yeah. it is that, yeah, and can you go into a little bit of detail as to why? Is it is it just, you know, occupational 
hazard. You don't want to be on record or have somebody going and looking and saying, oh, well, this year you voted this way and this year you voted for this guy. Or, you know, is there, is there a particular reason why, Mark? Uh, so you would think it's that reason, and it's definitely related to that reason, but that's not the reason. The reason um, is because in my job, you know, I do a lot of uh, I do a lot of uh, political, you know, analysis on television, and you know, I have to play straight uh, uh, down the middle, right? And that's what my job is. And, and trust me, as much as someone may see me on TV and be like, "Oh my God, he's a Democrat," you're going to find somebody that's going to be like, "Oh my God, he's a Republican." All right, I get it from all sides. Okay, so so there's that. Uh, but the voting part of it is is that in my mind, because I feel like that I can influence people or I have the ability to, I don't know if I can, but I certainly have the ability and the platform to influence people um, that is best that I do not vote. Uh, so we ever get any uh, indication um, uh, that I'm biased in any way towards anything or anybody. Now, other but you know, I think it was Len Downey at the Washington Post, famous Len Downey from the Post, uh, he didn't vote for the same reason. Uh, now, this will affect people, but I, what I would say to them is that um, it's, I, I feel like I'm giving up more of, of my ability not to vote uh, because I'm choosing uh, my profession than it is me deciding just not to vote. Trust me. I mean, I have to work on election days. I haven't worked in election. I haven't slept in an uh, election day uh, like less than I don't know, like 25, 30 hours. Like I'm up at, you know, that many hours. So right. it's uh, one of those things. I don't know. It's so, a lot of no, 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 it's not at all. I, I, again, I, I think people would want to hear it directly from you versus me just saying, well, this is what he told me why he doesn't, you know what I mean? That's why I wanted, I wanted, yeah, you, yeah, I, yeah. I wanted you to ex- yeah. share that. And the other question I had, which is, it's not an easy question and it's not necessarily uh, a question that I expect you know, you to answer, not that it's, you can't answer it, but um, how do you, how does CNN as a, as a company or you as a, as an employee of the network handle just the, oh, you know, they, they have an agenda and this is that. And, you know, that's why I watch this particular channel. Like what, what do you say to critics who, certainly have a, a, a strong opinion about what your network is, is putting out for programming. So, so a couple things. One is you have to know uh, initially who the source of the person is who's saying it, okay? And, you know, if it's somebody uh, inside of official Washington, then I'll know exactly what their motives are. And quite frankly, I may know that they're doing this before they do anything, yeah. um, that they're going to and whatever, say anything. Uh, if somebody says it on the street, all those deals, I'm going to tell you what, people aren't as brave uh, when they're by themselves on the street to go up and, and start parading you, right? I mean, they, they might in a, in a pack, but they're not necessarily going to do that in a, uh, you know, a, a one-on-one setting. But you don't hear it thoroughly. I mean, you get a lot of hate mail and you, you get a lot of, you know, there's, there's whatever stuff that happens and threats and stuff like that. But, but by and large, I mean, you just ignore it, you know? And what I would say to somebody is, um, you know, try to get all your facts. Like, right. if you don't trust me, then go, go somewhere else, but don't just go to that second place, go to a third place and a fourth place and a fifth place and then come back to me. Right. Okay, and then, then we can have a discussion about it again. 
but like, but but here's the thing. Like, it, 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 I, what I will say about the you know the the motive, you know the the conspiracy theory that the the media has like these motives. I don't think we have any motives. I mean, quite frankly, I mean, people may have personal motives, right? You know, they say the media, uh, some media, you know, people in the media may be liberal and they have motives. Okay, fine, like sure, uh, that you're gonna get that on the conservative side as well. So I just think like the idea that this is big cabal of uh, like the big media are all working together, you know, to take down uh, uh, the government or to control the government, whatever conspiracy theory that may be, is ludicrous. Because I can tell you, like literally at at corporate war, you know, w- with each other every day. So there's just no way, you know, anything like that could ever happen. It's just, you know, silly. What, how has the landscape, and I know this is kind of a loaded question, but how has the landscape of, of politics changed just honestly, even in the last, like, let's say 10 years, but were you surprised? I mean, it's a double question. I get that, but were you surprised by the results of, of the 2016 election? Yeah, I mean, I said it on television. I said it the, the, the day after the election and did the media culture and said, uh, uh, I guess I'm going to say, I was wrong, I was wrong, I was wrong. Yep. And I ended up getting a couple tweets from, or I don't know what they were, but from, uh, from like, like actors. <laughs> I forget who they were now. They'll be like, hey, I just saw you, you know. Big thing you just said. But, I mean, the bottom line is, is that like I don't have an agenda. Like I, I don't. I you know, there's if I'm going to say something on television, it's just going to it's going to be the truth. So like if I get something wrong and I don't do a mea culpa, then why would anybody ever trust me again? Right. Whenever, whatever. So like I'm a big believer in and like just trying to own it, take it head on, and then just keep moving forward. Because if you try to dodge it. You know, often the crime is worse than, or often the cover-up is worse than the crime. I agree. Yeah, no, it makes sense, and and it speaks again to your integrity. You know what I mean, as a as a journalist, but as a just as a person, like, hey, I'll take I'll take it and move on. Versus, uh, you know, dwelling on ways to sort of skate around things. So I I commend you for that. Um, I I call it the Biden. Okay. Yeah. I call it. Yeah, no, I get it. But but my other question is, so what, just, can you speak to, like, just what y- your thoughts are just on a, in a, on a general uh, basis as to, like, w- w- the divide that's in our country? I mean, it's so split right now, Mark. It's, it's I, I've never seen it like this, and some fear that it's going to take a while before it sort of corrects itself. So I, I don't necessarily have like answers, but I have uh, a couple things to say that you know might give some people thought, right? So, so the first thing is um, looking back, we shouldn't be too surprised that the you know the kettle boiled over, right? Because there's been so much hatred, frustration. I'm, I'm going to take away the word hatred because it, it's not the appropriate word. But there's so much frustration and anger towards. Washington D.C. and 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 how the government's running and, and what have you, that uh, it was bound to happen. Um, yeah, I can sit here and tell you that this is the worst it's ever been, but I mean that would be a lie because I think you just go back to the days during slavery and there's a Massachusetts senator who was beaten by a South Carolina congressman and put with a cane, <laughs> you know, on the Senate floor. So I mean, well, there were those days, you know, as well. I will say this. Is that, you know, I spent six years on Capitol Hill, intensely covering Capitol Hill. 
uh, back in the mid nineties. I can't believe I'm saying that, but yeah, the early early to mid nineties. Uh, and there was a different type of statesman, uh, stateswoman at that time. Sure. Uh, that Congress. Uh, now there are folks in Congress that you just roll your eyes and say, "How, how did you get here?" Well, that's like, my why. That, that's sort of my question. And again, it has nothing to do with political affiliation. It just has to do with like decorum and couth and right. and 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 just uh, you know, I didn't realize that. You know, the Capitol was, uh, I didn't realize that was a tent. The dome was a tent and it's a circus. I mean, it just seems like it's gotten a little bit out of control. That's all. You know what I mean? There's just. Um... Well, it has. I, I mean, here's the thing. So, so, so then you fast forward to, to Donald Trump winning in 2016 and, you know, how did that change Washington and all that? And, and I was like, well, I mean, change Washington, you know, uh, uh, irreversibly. Never, never return to what it was. But um, the unfortunate thing, and uh, putting all politics aside, this is the first thing, is that what Trump did is that Trump did give voice to folks to feel, or, or at least gave, not voice, but kind of gave them a thumbs up that people could go out and say anything to anybody about anything, and, and there'd be no re- repercussions for it. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's unfortunate, you know? Yeah. So, you know, to your point, I think it's going to be several years. I will say this, though, the younger generation, like our generation screwed up, okay? I mean, it is. Uh, our parents' generation was screwed up, and it was. And I think that our kids, although they're soft, which I think they're soft. <laughs> uh, I, they, love, I uh, love that. It, well, I know, but yeah. No, but, I know, but, I know. Yeah, there's more of an acceptance from them. You know, there's more of like, I don't know, there's more of an acceptance of, of everything. So, I don't know. Let's just hope they can fix our wrong. I hope. I pray. I keep my fingers crossed. Uh, speaking of family, yeah. I mean, we don't have to get all politics because, again, I, I think you're a tremendous person. Oh, uh, you know, I, well, I want to talk to you just, I know you have, you have two sons. Is that correct? So I got a daughter and a son. Oh, I'm sorry. Daughter, daughter and a son. Okay. She's uh She's funny. She's uh, she's a teenage girl and he's a teenage boy. It's, it's really funny how how they fall into the roles, you know. Yeah, and and uh, they're highly involved with with their schooling and like are they in sports and stuff like that? Is it is it is it like? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Baseball. Yeah, my son's a he's a pretty good baseball player. Yeah. My daughter is a pretty good uh, field hockey player, and uh, she's uh, they're just athletic. I mean, they were lucky. They get athletic teams. Uh, that bypassed me, you know, I got the, uh, I Lions reference, by the way, because that's just the perfect thing, right? You know, just enough to make the team, yeah. you know, you're never going to be a star, but you know what, as you get older, you realize that being on the bench is worth it. Yeah, but you're, <laughs> you you, you're being modest. Cause I'm saying like you, you were, and your brother was a very good baseball player. I'm saying like you, uh, you know, those wiffle ball games did something. I mean, you, you again, you were kind of, you, you were a grinder. <laughs> Couldn't hit, and I blew my arm out. There you go. That's so funny. Um, what? What? So being down in D.C. and 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 sort of removed from Massachusetts, um, do you still find that you you know you have ties to home? You miss things from from up here. Do you get up here at all? So, uh, so I do. So you know, most of my family still my brother and sisters. Uh, I still see my dad still up there. Uh, we do go back and forth uh, a pretty good bit uh, to Massachusetts. 
Oh, it's funny. Every couple of years, I start spending a lot of time in New Hampshire. Uh, in Manchester, and you worked in Manchester. Too, I, didn't you? I did. Yeah, I was with the Fisher Cats, Double A baseball Man- team. Manch Vegas. Right? Uh, yeah, that's it's funny. You, it's funny you know that because that's uh, it's they they love their Manch Vegas, and and the union leader is a strong, powerful source of uh, information up in up in New Hampshire. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we try to get back here, but uh, you know, I spend a lot of time on the road. To be honest with you, uh, so you know, whenever we can try to stay home, try to stay home because yeah. you know when you're on the road all the time. It's a grind. Uh, talk to me a little bit about you have your own Sirius XM station, radio station. Oh, no, that would be that would be money if that was true. No, I only have a show every show a week. Uh, it airs on I don't know, it airs on Saturday and Sundays. I've had a score. I had a show with Sirius now for five five years or six years. Did a show with a friend of mine for a few years, and we split off. He kept his show. I spun off a new show, uh, and uh, yeah. Just to try to have long form conversations about politics. It's just interesting things. Sure. You know? What what's it called? I, I definitely want you to promote it. Oh yeah, so uh, it's called Full Top, and uh, I think it airs at eleven on Saturday. I think they just changed the time. Okay, and where can they find it? Like what channel on Sirius? Uh, Sirius Food is one twenty four. The channel is twenty four. One twenty four. Yeah, yeah, and that's uh, Saturdays at eleven a.m. Eleven a.m. Perfect. We're going to be tuning in. Uh, what do you guys like to do for fun when, you, when you're not on the road and, and you're not, uh, you know, storming the Capitol? I mean, covering people storming the Capitol at uh, all hours. Of the- I, I did that day uh, on, on the Capitol, the storming of the Capitol day. I never even told you that story. No. Which, oh, yeah, I got, I got, yeah, they, several people came at me. Are you serious? Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Several people came at you directly. Correct. With you're from, you're from TNN and just got in my face. Yes, they're actually kind of right near where where this uh, incident occurred recently. Uh, but yeah, 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 things are definitely pretty hot down here. Uh, what do I like to do? I like to uh, I like to I don't know. I like to play golf. I guess although I haven't played in a while. Yep. I like to fish. I don't know. I spent a lot of time. I mean, the kids were in, like, you know, uh, they're in their, uh, their sports area timing, I guess. So you spend a lot of time with the kids. And again, a lot of time on the road. So I don't, I don't get to, uh, I don't get that much time at home. Or, you know, I do. But when I do, I try to, you know, spend time with my family. Yep. That's great. Um, you, if- I'm going to tell you a story, a terrible story, though. All right. Are you ready for this one? I'm ready. I know, I, I, the more terrible, the better. Okay. So. Uh, we had a Latin teacher by the name of Mrs. Trembley, right? And uh, I remember one, when I got into UMass Amherst, I remember she said, I'm going to call them and tell them to revoke your admission. <laughs> you'll, never, you'll never survive there. She said to me. And at the time, maybe she was right. You know, I mean, I, I, mean, I was kind of a, you know, wise ass, I guess, a bit. But, you know, not apparently a wise ass. But regardless, uh, well, I graduated from UMass. I ended up getting a job with Senator Kennedy, and I went back to the high school to tell her that. No way. Yes, I did. I can't believe I did it. And I went back. I mean, this is like an 83 after-school movie, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, so I go back. 
she's not there. And who do I run into? Frank Cassoni. Now, you remember Frank. Of course. Of, the of, of course I do. Sit down, talk to him, tell him what I'm doing. He's like, really? He goes, what do you care what she thinks? Like, look how, look, you know, look where you are now. And I just, and I also back at the moment and thank God, Cassoni was such a good dude. He was. He was a good dude. He really looked out for, for kids in, in a way that made you feel like you could trust them, you know? A hundred percent. So, she's listening. Here you go. That's so funny. I love it. Frank Tassoni was a great guy. He would take, he took a bunch of like ribbing and stuff, I think almost because he was too nice, you know what I mean? And and people took advantage yeah. of him type of thing. But he, he was always good to me and, and would give yeah. you the time of day and would try to help you out, like you said. So... Me, right. People did give him a hard time. God, the high school years, I mean, I know everyone talks about how much, you know, you love high school and all that. I found those to be very difficult years. Very did, difficult Did years. you really? Yeah. You know, and, and by the way, not because of the kids. I think that we were all good kids, and we were just in just a really tough situation. You know, and I, I try to impart that upon my kids now, you know. I find that to be an interesting statement only because like we were very close, I think at a younger age. And then we sort of lost contact a little bit in high school type of thing. You know what I mean? Just. Yeah, we did. We just drifted apart. Yeah. I don't know. But for no particular reason, you know what I mean? It wasn't like, Oh, I don't like this guy anymore. Whatever. I just, I felt that way with a bunch of guys. Like I, you know, I said that to Brendan Gormley when I talked to him recently, like what happened, man, why'd you go to the dark side? You started hanging out with all the kids from Hardy or whatever. You know what I mean? Like what, what did, uh, you know, what did I do wrong? You know, type of thing, just kind of kidding around with them. But uh, it it is sort of funny how you look back on things and, and, you know, where you put your emphasis now with your kids. So, um, you know, in, in all the interviews you had, you know, the best stories are, are, are the ones of, of everyone who has, who has overcome, you know. And this goes back to, like, the beginning of this about being gritty. We were all really gritty. And we all, like, we, we grew up during a time that was, you know, difficult and unique in its own way than what we're, uh, what we're seeing now. But having said that, it was, it was just as hard. And uh, to see, like, everybody get through, you know, it's, uh, it's heartening. Yeah, and you mentioned, you know, going back about kids being soft and so on and so I mean, Mark, you know I was delivering papers in snowstorms at eight eight years old, like nine years old, like knocking on doors, collecting for the week on a Thursday at 5.30 when it was getting dark out in the middle of winter. And I'm like, these kids just have it. They do have it a lot easier now. I mean, you know, my, my family went through the paper route and then we all had to work at Stop and Shop and then we all had to work here and there. And But like, and, and you know, as a, a high school student and college student, I painted houses for six, seven, eight years <laughs> in the summertime just to make some money. To, to, but it went all towards my tuition. You know what I mean? So you and I had a job on campus as well, working in the financial aid office. So um, I still bragging, find, bragging golf bags around the Winchester Country Club from the age of eleven on. Yeah, you know, pay for and. But having said that, you know, like, you know, we look back on those days and then, I don't know, I guess it kind of built us who we are. So, I agree. I mean, yeah, I agree. And, and, you know, you're deserving of all of your success. I mean, you're a hardworking guy. It's, it's honestly, it's talking to you. This isn't, this is probably something you'll enjoy me saying is, you know, talking to you is like talking to anybody else. You know what I mean? It's like, 
and and I I don't not everyone's been as successful or as a public figure or any of that stuff, but I'm saying like, you're such a good guy. Like my, my enjoyment in this process has been being real with people. You know what I mean? And saying, Hey, remember when we played wiffle ball in my backyard, you know? So it's, uh, it, it, it's been kind of fun to have CNN senior political analyst, Mark Preston on the phone, because you know, um, you're, you're a good guy. You know what I mean? You're one of us. We're all good kids that came out of that town, you know. Um, we're, I mean, looking back, everybody was, uh, I don't know if it's that good. I mean, good Lord, what are we going to do to each other? I mean, we're, we're going to kill any any kind of street cred we have now. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's all right. We're getting we're getting up there and we're getting up there in years, so it's okay to sort of take a minute to reflect back a little bit. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, you know, I mean, some of the stories are, are amazing. I, I'd love to hear David McIsaac's uh, uh, R-rated stories out of Russia because I'm sure that they are insane. Yeah. You know, I yeah. think uh, that uh, um, uh, Jeff's stories, uh, you know, in Germany, I'm sure, like, he could tell us some, some good little funny stories, you know, uh, out of Germany. Yeah. I mean, just you know so i'm with you anyway. I, I i think we'll do that the next time we're all together and, and uh, sharing a beer sounds like a plan man listen i can't thank you enough for the time best to you and your family i hope you guys have a happy and healthy easter and uh stay safe out there on the mean streets of dc would you i will you too, all right take care he's mark Preston, everybody cnn senior political analyst